All right. Well, they said I could speak till 1230. And then Paul back there, who I've known for almost like 35 years now, said uh, he's going to mute me around 11. So you're worried I won't go that long. I don't know if you have your Bibles with you, um, but we're going to look at Ruth chapter 2 today. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. I also have it in the ESV, but there's just something for me that makes it maybe a little bit more clearer and plainer in the New Living Translation, and I just uh, like that a little bit more clarity when I read. Usually, and this is not to brag, when I read, I use the NLT, the NIV, and the New American Standard, which is the same version that the Apostle Paul used. So that was just a theological joke. See, I can be a theologian Okay, you guys don't care. Okay, all right. <laughs> but I'm going to read this for us, and uh, today we're just going to talk about, can you hear me? Do you see me? Ruth chapter 2 starts this way. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, <clears throat> let me go into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, She's the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over, to, went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young woman working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting, and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. When you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wing you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called her, Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat down with his harvesters, and Boaz, her, Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, Let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her. Stop there. In verse 16 it says, and don't give her a hard time. Let's pray.
Father, you see us. We thank you, we honor you, that you have created each and every one of us here in your image. You see we have worth. You see that we have value. You see in us stuff we may not even see in ourselves. Your love, extravagant, even beyond our imagination. In a sense, in my imagination, I can imagine standing before you one day and being utterly surprised at how great and grand your love was. I can be so mindless, so forgetful, so uncaring. None of this is like you. Father, we thank you for your providence. In the good and the bad, even in that, there will be surprises. We are grateful that you care for us, that you seek us to be in relationship with you. Father, today I pray that we not only see this for ourselves, but for the people who live around us. That what we hear about Ruth's experience, Boaz's experience, all in light of your providence, is not just about ourselves, which is great, but how it is also about how you want to work in us and through us so that others might be heard and seen. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Have you ever felt unappreciated? Think about this for a second. Have you ever felt unappreciated? As a mother or a father, uh, as someone who works, you, you, you put in so much work and so much effort, and you feel like, wow, this is really, this is great, man. This is awesome. And then whether it's your boss or your spouse or your kids, they come along and go, oh, man, you, you missed that. Or you didn't do this. And you kind of feel like, man, I just spent a whole day doing something, working so hard. And instead of looking at all the other things that I've done, you just notice this one little thing and that sense of unappreciation. Have you ever felt that? Or am I the only person that's kind of, anybody, anybody? Let's raise, I don't know if you raise hands at this church. I don't know if you're not, just, I'm not being charismatic or anything. I'm just saying, feel un, un, okay, yes. Uh, feeling unappreciated. How about this one? Here's another way of looking at this. Do you ever wonder why we yell in an argument? And I don't know if this is the deep, deep, deep root, but have you ever wondered why am I yelling in the midst of this argument? In some ways, when I reflected on it, I thought it's because I feel like my wife or my kids or the person that I'm talking with can't hear me. So I have to speak a little bit louder, and I start yelling. And it really doesn't make a difference, does it? No matter how much you yell. In fact, what it really does is it leaves you feeling less empty, or less full, I mean. You just feel empty. Why did I have to yell? But it's because we don't feel like the other person is hearing us. They don't see us. And so we yell with the hopes that they'll get it. It's messed up, but it's, it's the way we feel. We feel unappreciated. A, a few months ago at youth group, I asked the students, so what is the emotion that you think, because I wanted to know if they knew me, if they could see me, what is the emotion that you think I express the most? And this is beautiful. They said things like loving and caring and kind. And one girl goes, anger. <laughs> no, she was right, though. That was the beauty of it. I felt like of all those other kids, they saw something, but she saw something real. 
Because when I talk, I express a lot of times, this is how I'm dealing with some of the anger that I'm going through. She actually saw me. And I remember being at a retreat, sitting down with one of the youth group students, and he says, you get me. You get me. And as a pastor, you feel like, wow, I can actually feel that appreciation, first of all, but understanding that I actually see somebody. So today, that's what I want to talk about. When we look at people, do we hear them? Do we see them? And and I think we can see that here in Ruth chapter 2. But you have to understand the context of Ruth chapter 2 a little bit. If you went to Judges, and you don't have to turn there, uh, chapter 21, verse 25, the New American Standard says, everyone did what is right in his own eyes. So contextually, it's kind of like every other age in the sense that everyone who's ever lived is just selfish and we do what's right in our eyes. In Israel, that was kind of horrible because they were supposed to be doing what is right in God's eyes, Instead, they chose to do what is right in their eyes, and there was a lot of chaos. In the midst of that chaos, we have the Ruth story. And the story of Ruth, contextually in the first chapter, if you read it, is pretty simple. There was a man whose name was Elimelech, and he had a wife, Naomi, and they were in the middle of a famine. And if there's a famine in the land, that was God's way of saying, hey, listen, you guys are not listening to me, which is pretty obvious by the fact that they all did what was right in their eyes instead of what was right in his eyes that Elimelech and Naomi may have sat down and had this conversation. I'm not sure. (coughs) It's very possible that Elimelech made the decision by himself. But he said, listen, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at my children, and we're starving. We need to go get food. And I hear that there's food in Moab, so we're going to go to Moab, which is not a good thing because Moab was an idolatrous, immoral, and an enemy of Israel. But they went there, and when they went there, some bad things happened. Elimelech died. Their two sons died, and Naomi now is left in this land, this foreign land, this idolatrous, immoral land, by herself with two young daughter-in-laws and no grandchildren. Now, a widow in those days would have been uneducated and unemployable. So in other words, she had nothing. And in the middle of this nothing, she finally hears that, hey, back in Bethlehem, God has blessed them with food, so let's go back and I'm going to go there. So she goes back thinking she's going to go with herself. Well, who else is she going to go with to go with herself? But she goes by herself thinking that, and her two daughter-in-laws are following after. And she says to them, please, come on now. Don't follow me. I have nothing. I have nothing to give you. So why would you follow me? And Orpah, which, by the way, I don't know if you know this. This is a squirrel. Please forgive me. Did you know that Oprah was actually named after Orpah but they switched the letters, and that's why she's called Oprah on her birth certificate. Did you know that? Do you care? No, you don't, but I figured I would say that just to see if you're paying attention. Anyway, Orpah goes back, but Ruth says, listen, Naomi, wherever you go, I go. Your God is my God, and I'm just going to be with you. That's it. And Naomi tries to get rid of her. Ruth says, no, I'm sticking with you. So this is where we come. Naomi comes back to Bethlehem. And she says, call me bitter because my life has been so horrible for these last 10 years. It's just difficult, 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 difficult. She's really down on it. She feels like God has left her. She's in the middle of poverty. She doesn't have anything except this annoying daughter-in-law who seems to follow her everywhere and wants to stick to her like Velcro or glue or whatever you want to call it that really sticks. And we come to chapter 2, and here's what we read. It's one day, Ruth the Moabite says to Naomi, Let me go into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. So Ruth here is basically saying, listen, you're my mother-in-law. 
You're down and out. I get it. I understand. It's been a rough 10 years, but we've got to eat. So I'm going to do what all those who don't have anything, I'm going to be like the poor person, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to glean in the fields. Let me go. So we're beginning to get an idea of who Ruth is. Now, I don't know how you read the Bible, but when you read the Bible, I encourage us always, I'm sure every pastor does, for you to read it slowly and look for repetition. So I'm going to point out some repetition that we see here in the second chapter of Ruth to give us an understanding of who is Ruth. Because we want to see her. And we want to know who she is. Because that's going to help us understand the complete story. In verse 2, it says, and the author says that, is that she is a Moabite. She's a foreigner. She's an idolater. She's probably immoral because she's a Moabite. And she's impoverished because she's going to do what poor people have to do in those days. If you slip down to verse 6, when the foreman responds to Boaz's question about who is she, he says, she is the young woman from Moab. In other words, she's that one woman who is from that idolatrous, immoral nation. That's who she is, plain and simple. It's the way to describe her. Uh, slip on down then to verse 10. Even she says it. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. It's a lot of repetition here. But then go again to verse 11. And what does Boaz say? Yes, I know. I know it. You're a foreigner. You're, you're not like us. You're different. So if we had someone, I don't know, one of the things we talked about, um, dress code and coming here. So you see my dress code today. That's my normal dress code. But what if I showed up in a suit and tie? You'd know right away, like, you know, who is this? I, and I'm not, I'm not going to say any names, you know, even though Mike greeted me. Oh, sorry. Um, Welcome, sir. What are you doing here? <laughs> I'm a foreigner. I look different, right? I mean, at a church like this, someone like me walks in and you're like, dude, you're at the wrong church, bro. What are you? Not in a mean way. You know what I mean, but... Um, what are you doing here? And Mike, if you're feeling bad about this, I don't feel bad. Please don't feel bad. It's all cool. It's all good. I understand. But that's the idea. You're, you're someone, you're different. You stick out. And so everybody knows Ruth the Moabite is Ruth the Moabite. She sticks out. Foreigner, probably an idolater, probably immoral, and she doesn't have a husband, man. She is in bad shape in this culture. Understand that? That's who Ruth is. Now, what does this mean? Well, what it means is she probably wasn't treated very nicely. Well, how do I know that? Let's look at the repetition again. Go back to verse 9. If you've seen verse 9, Boaz says, See which part of the field they are harvesting and follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. How many of you have had daughters that you send off to college? Or will be sending off to college? Anybody here? What do you, what do you tell your daughters? Watch them boys, right? Watch the boys. Why do you say that? It's because you want your daughter to watch boys? No, it's because you know boys can be dangerous. Not all boys, and I'm not trying to say all men are horrible and, and terrible, but one of the things that we tell our co college girls in that freshman orientation is, if you're going to drink, and of course church kids don't drink, right? But if you ever get tempted and happen to, make sure that you watch your drink. Why? Because we know that there is a danger. We know that there's something real to that. And so when Boaz says, listen, don't treat her roughly, what he's saying is, it's probably happened. Why? She's a foreigner. She's different. She's probably immoral. She's probably an idolater. She's a widow. There's a lot of bad things about her. So, yeah, it's, it's Ruth. 
You don't treat someone kindly if you don't know them, if you don't see them, and if you don't care about them. But it doesn't stop there. Even Ruth in verse 10 says, why have you done this? What do I deserve for such kindness? Why do you say that? Why does she say that? Because she's experienced, most likely, a lot of unkindness as she's lived in Bethlehem. So here again, look at verse 13. What does she say in verse 13? She says, I hope I continue to please you, sir. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. You know, if you ever hang around someone and they keep saying, thank you, thank you so much, no one's ever done this to me, you're so kind to me, there's got to be something there. She has not been treated kindly. Verse 15, if you slip on there, it says, let her gather grain among the sheaves and don't stop her. And verse 16, finally, let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. In other words, Boaz is saying, listen, we all know who Ruth is. She's the Moabite. She's come back with Naomi. All right? We all understand what we think we know about her, but do we really know her? Do we really see her? You see, everyone saw Ruth. What did they see? Let's see if you're paying attention. When they saw Ruth, what did they see? They saw a Moabite, which meant she was probably a <coughs> adulterer and probably immoral, definitely a widow, maybe suspicious circumstances. Stay away from her. They saw her, but only... Only Boaz actually sees her. Actually, Boaz is the only one who sees her. And, and, and look what he does here. Go down to verse 8. He says, listen, my daughter. An expression of affection and care. In other words, you're part of my family. And in a way, he was. But he says, listen, my daughter. And, and here's the crazy thing. If you read the rest of the book of Ruth, after chapter 2, only one more time is she mentioned as a Moabite, as a foreigner. You see, what Boaz does here is he sees Ruth, not as the Moabite, not as the possible idolater, not as the possibly immoral woman, but he sees her for who she is. And then he explains this kindness that I'm expressing to you is because I've heard about you. I've heard about what you've done for your mother-in-law. And even now, her being in the field is an expression of the love that she has for her mother-in-law. <clears throat> she is willing to give it all, not only for her mother-in-law, but also for this new God that she is following. And the amazing thing about that, it is an absolute contrast to the people of Israel at that time. Because at that time, what was everyone doing? They were doing what was right in their own eyes. They were doing what made them happy, themselves pleased. That was their goal. And out of this, this supposedly widow, this supposed idolater, this supposedly immoral woman is serving God and her mother-in-law with all of her heart. Absolute contrast. And Boaz sees that. See, everyone else saw foreigner you don't have to treat her right. Don't even care about her. You can even be rough, mean, whatever, and then walk on your way and it's all good because you know what? We're God's people. And we're not supposed to be with the Moabites. But Boaz saw something different. I think that Boaz saw what God saw. Does that make sense? 
Boaz saw what God saw. I mean, the, the strange, not the strange thing, but the kind of crazy thing from our human perspective is God saw something in Ruth. And you'll see that in chapter 4 when you get there. But God saw something in Ruth. And he placed that in the heart of Boaz. Boaz saw Ruth for who she was in God's eyes. He did not see the Moabite woman. He did not see the possible idolater. He did not see the possibly immoral woman. He saw someone that God cared for. And in God's providence, he brought her to his field. Boaz saw that. (coughs) Boaz saw her for who she was. Now, why does this matter? I think it matters a lot in how we deal with people who are around us each and every day. If Ruth were here in this congregation right now, we could say to her, God sees you. And, and maybe you're a Ruth. Maybe you feel like you're in a place where this is so bad, nobody cares for me, nobody sees me. And we could say, God sees you, and he does. And God is drawing people to himself. But the one thing that God does not do is drop an Old Testament in Ruth's lap and say, read this and talk about how I love foreigners and how I want to bring them, and one day I will. Okay, read that. No, he doesn't. He doesn't do that at all. What God does is he uses Boaz. See, in this story, Ruth could have been asking this question, where is God? Like, I'm looking at you, Naomi, and you talk about this great God that you had. Then maybe they're having a conversation on the table, and I don't understand it. <coughs> your God is great, right? But your husband's dead. Your two sons are dead. You're in poverty, and you have no hope. Oh, man, that sounds like a wonderful God. Sign me up, man. Come on, I'm in, right? Anybody for that? No job, no hope. Not, nobody's for that, right? God sees her. That's what she could be asking, though. And yet she doesn't. It, it, it's, it's, it's God seeing her instead and calling her to myself and her answering that call. You see, the Bible teaches us that God loves us, right? We all understand that God really, truly loves us, probably beyond what we can imagine or think. And yet, in all of this, she could have been thinking, why doesn't he get involved? Now, how many of you like Marvel? Okay, don't be ashamed. It's okay. We all watch Marvel, right? Did anyone watch that little mini-series, What If? Right? You got me, all right? Well, most annoying character in that was the Watcher, right? Because he, he sees all these events, and he just watches. He doesn't do anything. Bro, inter, inter, intercede here, man. Get involved. Do something. Help people. No, he'd just be watching. God is not like that. God is not like the Watcher, where the Watcher just watches. But as you see and you read the book of Ruth, God is moving and drawing Ruth to himself. And he's doing all of these kind of things this, in his providential way to say, Ruth, I see you. And you matter. And this man here, Boaz, is going to show that to you. Because God does not drop the Old Testament on our laps. He does not drop the New Testament on our laps. But he drops his people into our lives. So that wherever we go, when we see people... Sorry. (coughs) When we see people, we see them as God sees them. Because we are to be an expression not only of his hands and his feet, his mind and his heart as well. How many of you have ever seen the movie Dear Evan Hansen? 
just a few of you. Oh, you got to see it. You got to see it. I mean, that's kind of a, a decent movie, but it, it's basically a movie about suicide. Which, of course, your first thought is like, man, what a, why would you suggest it's a depressing topic? But when I look at that, I, 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 the, the character that struck me the most was the class president. If you've seen it, and if you haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin it for you anyway, and I apologize for that. But I still think it's a good movie to see. But the class president, when they show her at the beginning of the movie, happy, cheerful, everything together. Everyone's like, oh, you're so great, you're so wonderful. And yet when we see her again, as they redo that scene from her perspective, she's lonely. She's hurting. She's empty. How many of you ever seen uh, the Netflix show 13 Reasons? I got a lot of hands raising up. You have a bunch of charismatics. But yeah. Or you watch a lot of TV like I obviously do. I only watched three shows in my whole life, and these are the only three that I've ever watched. But 13 Reasons, is, and I'm not encouraging you to watch it because it's a little bit, it's a little over the top in the sense of some of the morality and stuff, and I struggle with it, but I promise you I did. But by the end of the last episode, when this girl is about to take her life, it, I can just remember sitting in the kitchen, standing up and crying and screaming at my computer saying, Hannah, don't do it. Don't do it. And it broke my heart, but it made me think one thing. What if in that school there was one follower of Jesus who actually saw her for who she was? What if there was one follower that actually saw the emptiness of her life? What if there was one Christian who actually took the time and said, Hey, Hannah, I will be your friend. I will walk with you. I will care for you. I want nothing from you. I just want to be your friend. And I want to show you that God loves you, that you have worth and you have value. And that's always struck me. And that's exactly what Boaz does. By God's providence, he ends up at the field that day. A rich man, probably having many other fields, but he comes and he shows up and he sees Ruth and he says, who is that? She's different. But, because he had God's heart, he went up to her and said, my daughter. In a sense, what he's saying is, God sees you. God has seen what you have done for your mother-in-law. God sees now what you're doing for your mother-in-law. God sees you. And he loves you. And in a strange way, he has a plan for you. Oh yeah, what is that plan, boys? If you turn to chapter 4, it's to one day be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy? Moab was supposed to be hated because of their idolatry and their immorality and their unwelcoming attitude towards the Israelites. And yet this is the woman that God sees to be a part of the lineage of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because God saw her, and he placed it on Boaz's heart. And Boaz now saw her. So why does this matter? Here's my question. Who are you Boaz to? Who are you Boaz to? Who is that one person in your life, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's at some community that you're involved in, 
Who are you to be Boaz to? Who is on God's heart that is in your life to walk up to that person and say, my friend, my brother, my daughter, God sees you and he loves you. That to me is why this matters. Ruth chapter 2 seems kind of obscure. Ruth chapter 2 is about the providence of God and how God is bringing this woman who has no hope, not only to a place of hope, but a place of greatness. Not because she is great, but because God is great and has seen her situation and said, you have worth and value. I love you. Come to me. Worship me. Follow me. And it changed her life. She is totally different. She's a different person. Again, like I mentioned earlier, from this time on, she's no longer known as the Moabite. She's known as Ruth because God saw her in his providence brought Boaz to her. Boaz saw her. And with the influence that he had provided hope because of who God is. And this woman who was seen incorrectly is now seen by God. And then the rest of the culture finally can see her correctly for who she is. And she won't even see the greatness of that because she'll die long before Jesus comes for the first time. That to me is a very powerful message. We live in a world where there are people who are surrounding us. They are empty. They are lonely. And if I'm not mistaken, we've seen several high-profile suicides in the last few weeks college student athletes who are at the top of their game taking their lives because the pressure's too much. What if there was someone there that said, God loves you? And I get the judge wrong, but is it not Naomi Judd who just recently took her life? My mistake? I'm not, anybody? Yeah. What if someone was beside her and said, you matter to God? This is important. This is our mission. To tell people, God loves you. To mean it to go alongside of them, to be with them, to say that you are seen. You are seen by God. You are seen by me, and you matter. Our Father, you are in heaven, and that means you see. You see all. You see all circumstances, but you see all people. I'm just flabbergasted by the fact that you love me. To imagine that you love all people is even greater and grander. I pray for each one of us here, (coughs) even starting with me. Please open my eyes, open my heart to see people the way you see people. Please use the frailty of my life, the struggles of my life, for all of us here to use us in our weakness to let that Ruth in our lives know that you see you hear and you care and I pray this in Jesus name Amen